0: Well, um, I don't know if you follow tennis or not, but if you do, you would know that uh, Serena and Venus actually uh, actually uh, competed again in the U.S. Open this year. Uh, they competed, and I, I'll just say this: if these two never stepped foot on the tennis court ever again, they still would go down in history as one of the greatest tennis players of all. Right? The, they are just an awesome duo. And millions of children all throughout the world um, have been watching this dynamic duo sort of dominate the courts, including this one girl by the name of Naomi Osaka. Yeah, yeah somebody, somebody knows you're following tennis, you know. Uh, Naomi Osaka, she is a little girl that when she grew up, she grew up actually watching Serena and Venus uh, compete with each other. And Serena Williams was one of her childhood role models so when she was little, she would watch um, them play tennis. And in her third grade, she actually wrote a book report, a report on Serena Williams. And one of her mantras was, well, what would Serena do? Right? Yeah, I was like, wow, this is somebody who followed them. She was the daughter of a Japanese mother and a father that was from Haiti. And they grew up, She grew up in New York. And then over time, they end up traveling to Japan and living in Japan. But it was this 2018 U.S. Open that uh, Naomi Osaka actually won. And she beat her childhood hero, Serena Williams. And I thought, wow, this is a fantastic story. And I began to look up the history of Naomi and compare that with Serena. And I found that there were many similarities. Uh, For one, both of them began playing tennis about as early as they could lift up a racket. Uh, Two, they both experienced a certain amount of obstacles in in actually competing because they what they were doing were really countercultural because of the fact that they were minorities in a sport that was really mostly white people that would play this sport. Another thing is that they they both had older sisters that would train with them on a regular basis throughout their entire life, even compete with them and then I, another thing that I saw that Even though they competed with their sister, uh, they never lost uh, sight of the fact that she was family. And that was important. And today, in order to complete your assignment, the Lord is going to uh, really encourage you that you're going to have to keep working out. You're going to have to keep striving to do what God's called you to do. See, God's given you an assignment. And that assignment is going to require you to stay in this training mode so that you might become all that God has for you. Philippians 1.6, he says, being confident of this very thing that he that began a good work in you will accomplish it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so today I'd like to just share with you a message I've entitled, A Spiritual Workout. A Spiritual Workout. You know, just as Naomi and Serena had similar things in common we too as believers have things in common one you'll find that once we're saved and we're babes in Christ the Lord gives us the ability to interpret his scriptures Um, two you'll find that as you continue to grow in your understanding of God and what he requires uh, of us you'll have to go through some obstacles because it'll be sort of countercultural. three you're going to have to have a big brother a big sister in the faith so that you might continue to grow healthy and strong. And then and then this last thing is you're going to have to have a family uh, that you stick to no matter what goes on in life. And we're going to find this out in the, in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to it, Philippians. And I'm going to land in Philippians chapter 2. But just to provide you with a little background on this particular book, this was a letter that we would call a pastoral I mean this would be one of his prison epistles so one of these prison epistles means that he was in a Roman prison when he was actually writing this and he's writing this to a church that he actually planted on his second missionary journey and so as he's writing this he's writing from a prison really thanking them this is really an appreciation letter he's thanking them because they had sent a gift to him while he was in prison they sent a young man by the name of Epaphroditus to give him a gift. And this was an offering to him so that he can continue to maintain um, this ability to share the gospel, even though he was behind bars. Um, he was on house arrest, but he was able to actually have visitors come and visit him. So this is really a letter of thanks. He's thanking them for what they had done for him. Not only is it a thank you letter, but he also encourages them. He wants to encourage them to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. So I'm going to start at verse 12 um, and we'll continue to kind of walk through this text. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. He starts this word, this particular verse saying, therefore. And so many of you probably know that if you see therefore, you have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore, right? And if you go back to the previous passages, you'll find in in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, all the way up to chapter 2, verse 11, that he begins to share the importance of unity and being humble. And he uses Jesus Christ as the perfect example for us to be humble, He describes the fact that Jesus came down and humbly gave himself as a living sacrifice for us. And so he died on the cross for us. And and if he, in fact, did that for us, he steps into this, therefore, now we need to bring this teaching into practice. What does this actually look like? And so now he starts off um, commending them because he says, as you have always obeyed. He's commending them. They have done the right thing. They were obedient. So this was one church that he just really wanted to sort of celebrate them. And as you know, if you study any of these these prison epistles, you'll find that sometimes they're not a, a letter of appreciation, but he's actually scolding them for things that they have not done, but not in this particular letter. He's actually wanting to encourage them. He says, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. And so he's away in prison. He started this church. This church does not have him present. But he now says, listen, I want you to maintain your integrity. Even though I'm not there, I want you to continue to do what I've called you to do. It's unfortunate that... Probably the most common criticism of the church is that the people in the church are hypocrites. And so it's important here that he highlights the fact that he says, listen, if if I'm there or if I'm not, you still need to behave consistently as a follower of Christ. And so he says, listen, whether I'm there or not, you need to continue to shine. Look at verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now this particular phrase, work out your salvation, has caused some confusion among those who study the word. Because if you study the Apostle Paul and his writings, you'll find that he's consistent and persistent, saying that salvation is by grace and faith alone, right? But in this particular text, he says that you need to work out your own salvation. Notice he does not say work for your salvation, but work out your salvation. That means that he must have placed something already within you that you need to work out. Right. So working out our salvation is not about obtaining salvation um, because he actually started this particular letter. We read it earlier and he calls them holy. He calls them saints. So these are people that are already saved. Just to be clear, Ephesians 2.8, he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, but it's a gift of God. And so if it's a gift, it's free. So that's not what he's talking about here. So by believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, believing that Jesus died on the cross as a payment for your sins, believing that he rose three days later with all power as a receipt to say, Yes, my payment is good. And then trusting him as your Lord and Savior, one becomes saved. And that salvation is complete in a moment. It it is not a process. But here he says, work out your salvation. And that means to live as one who belongs to Christ. This is being intentional, having an intentional effort to allow God to conform you into his image. For people who study the word of God, we call that sanctification, right? It's God's work in us. So the workout is actually only one Greek word we have translated into workout, but it's this Greek word, which is katagozamai And what that is, it means to produce or to pull out. This was a common phrase that was used for miners during that time. Miners who worked in the silver and gold mines, They would work in these minefields with rock and soil. And so their responsibility was to work out what was valuable within the rocks and within the soil. This was a manual process. They did not have machinery, but they had to work hard. This was hard labor, and they worked as a team to ultimately pull out what was good and leave what, what was not good there. So he's saying, listen, I've placed some treasures in you. I've put some stuff in you, but you're going to have to work it out and pull out what it is valuable. It's interesting in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he even describes this by saying that you have this treasure in earthly vessels or jars of clay. God has placed in us something that is valuable, but it's going to require some effort to begin to pull it out. See, when we're saved... The Holy Spirit then comes in as so We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And what he does is he provides us with some gifts that we need to stir up, which require some effort. And he also requires us to, uh, to allow that those characteristics that the Holy Spirit's placed in us to come out. And that's going to require some pressure. It's going to require some work. It's going to require some effort on your part. So God has ultimately designed a specific plan for each of you. It's specific to you. He has an assignment that only you will be able to accomplish. If you ever go to a gym, they may offer to have someone become a, a trainer that will you know, be certified to train you. And before they put you on a treadmill or anything, what they're going to do is ask you some questions about your, your lifestyle. They'll probably put you on a scale. And if they're a good trainer, they may even tell you to go to the doctors and come back with a physical because they need to see uh, what's on that physical. And what they're doing is they are trying to customize a plan that's just specific to you. Because they know everything about you, so they know what you need to bring out, okay, the good stuff, right? Right? And here he's saying, work out. And this kind of leads us to our first point that we're going to have to have a a spirit-led training, right? You need spirit-led training. See, what God has for you and nobody else, it's a divine assignment that he's called you to do. Some of you all might remember in John chapter 21, uh, Jesus has been resurrected. He comes back and he's having a private conversation with Peter and he's telling Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. And he, he says that a couple of times. And, and then Peter's looking over at John. And he's like, well, what about him over there, right? And Jesus says, wait a minute. What's it to you, man? I'm talking to you. Because what he had for Peter was for just Peter. And so what God has for you is for you. But it's important that we understand. And that God does, in fact, have an assignment specific to us. Look at verse 12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This basically means with, with a certain amount of awe, reverence for the opportunity to be in his gym, right? If, you ever, if you're ever in a gym, there's always one person that's been there for a minute, you know, and they've, ex- it, they've established a little success, you know, they have something they can see. And they're in the mirror like constantly flexing. And you're like, why is he, he's not even working out, you know? And he says, you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because we never really arrive. If we keep our focus on Christ, you realize we got some more work to do. And sometimes we start using our gifts and then we think, oh, it's all about me. And he's like, no, you need to do this with fear and trembling. Humbly recognize that your process is never done. And even though you're students, trust me, um, I've been preaching for a while, but I'm still learning. I never get out of the gym. We still keep working out. It's a lifelong process. So God's going to design your your gym specific to you. And what does this gym look like? It's life circumstances and people. God allows you to go through certain life stances so that you might develop faith. And also that you might develop some long suffering. The Apostle Paul says that he was suffering. But the gospel continued to, to move forward. Also, it's some people. The Lord allows some people to come into your life. Some good and some not so good. And that is how we learn things like patient, love, and forgiveness. It's just the gym that God has set up just for us. You know, an unhealthy man once said, when I feel this urge to exercise, I just lay down and let it pass. Right. Right. But the reality is, is that we can't have a passive attitude about us going, growing in Christ. We can't. We have to look at it as whatever God is sending to me or whatever I, he's sending me through, it's for my good. Somehow I have to allow this to work out so that I'm growing up and becoming more like Christ. We can't be passive uh, about this. There's a tendency to sometimes treat our sanctification process like either a diet or a gym membership. And I use that because a a gym membership is interesting. I decided to do some statistics on those who get a gym membership. And I found out that 80% of the people who get a gym membership quit within five months. 80%. Right? Within five months, they're done. There was an old jokester that said that he did 15 minutes on the treadmill, about 10 minutes on a defibrillator, and about two days in the hospital, you know? <laughs> and I say that because if you have somebody that goes to the gym with you, OK, a trainer that walks with you and continues to encourage you, you'll stay in the gym. You won't just drop off. And so it's important that we have people that walk alongside of us, that encourage us as we're growing in Christ. Or yeah. well, some people treat it like a diet. You know what diets are like. You start out good, right? And, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. We start out the year maybe with a Daniel fast. I don't know if you've tried that. I've done it. It's great. The problem is, is that oftentimes, after a while, we stop doing our devotion, We stop doing some of the basic biblical principles that we need to be doing in order to continue to grow. We stop um, holding to a Sabbath or spending that devotional time that we have and we begin to drift. And that's not what he wants to do here. He says all of these can be ultimately used to encourage and enforce this idea that we're growing in Christ. And that's going to require you to stay within a biblical community. That's having friends who are in the gym with you, working out with you, encouraging you, helping you to continue to grow forward. Let me keep going. Uh, Verse 14, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. The verse suggested here that our efforts... Will actually take place in community with others. So he says, do all things without grumbling. And this means to mutter under your breath, to not really say it, but you just sort of mumble it and and grumble it a little bit. We know that in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 16, Moses leads his people um, out of Egyptian slavery for, for 400 years they had been in slavery and now they're finally free. It's not long that they begin to make this trip in the desert that they start to grumble. They start to complain. And they're not just complaining about Moses, they're complaining to God. And it's considered sin because he, he actually um, he actually goes after them and he says, wait a minute, I'm going to have to just uh, chastise you as a result of this. You know, I remember taking a couple kids uh, this particular summer to Wildwood. And the idea for me was to take them to the beach and so that they can enjoy the water. And I knew that the beach was free cause they can get in it and, <laughs> and be in there all day, you know? But what I didn't realize is that there was a boardwalk with some rides. Yeah. Now I had in mind that we gonna go to the beach. And they had in mind that they were gonna get on some rides. And so we ended up out on the beach and joined, and they started to grumble a little bit. Oh, no, we gonna get on them rides. we gonna walk the boardwalk, Dad. Well, let's stay out on the beach. You know, but no, they continued to be persistent. And I said, okay, well, let me, let me, let's go grab your towels and everything. And we began to walk the boardwalk, and I saw the ride, and you had that ticket booth, and you gotta buy all these tickets. You know, you know it's, if you're in there, believe it or not, you're better at an amusement park than these tickets, this little ticket circus thing, because you end up buying a bunch of tickets. And I said, look, I have enough for you to get on maybe two rides. You know, everybody can get on two. So I ended up getting tickets and I noticed that there was a little bit of grumbling, but they got on the rides and they were happy. And and you know these rides are about 30 seconds. So it wasn't long before this was over, you know. And they were like, well, we need some tickets. We come all the way out. They started grumbling a little bit. And for me, I started getting a little upset because I'm like, I done spent my gas money. We came out here. You know, I didn't have to take you here. And I got a little frustrated. But, you know, discontent is the first step towards rebellion against God, isn't it? We look at Adam and Eve. Before they ate of the forbidden fruit, they became You know, a little disgruntled. They started to grumble. They were dissatisfied in all that God had blessed them with. And we know it was good because God said it was very good, right? But they had a problem with this. They didn't have everything that they thought that they deserved. And so grumbling really is a lack of humility because you believe that you're entitled to more. And sometimes we start, you know, we're in certain situations, we start grumbling a little bit. And God says, no, I I got you in this gym for a reason. There's some stuff I have, some machines I got you to work on here. And it's for a purpose. But they begin to grumble a little bit. See, ultimately, if we focus on Christ and all that he did for us on the cross, we realize that we really don't deserve anything. We don't. And that sort of leads to this next point that that you have to have a spirit-controlled temperament. And when I say temperament, this means your own personal attitude towards being in the gym. Your attitude towards that you know what God is working in and through whatever situation that you're going to be in. See, the truth is, is that just because you're saved, everything's not going to work out just the way you want it to work out. It doesn't work that way. It rains on the just as well as the unjust. The difference is, is that for the people who are out in the world, they're just going through for the people who are in God's gym we say well this is just God's gym you know I'm just God is working some things out through this circumstance that I'm going through and so we have a different perspective about some of those struggles that we have we that we have to encounter and that's important that you understand that the the, that our heavenly father is holding your hand in the midst of whatever it is that you might be encountering you know Acts chapter 16 we find in verse 25 that Paul and Silas, they are actually imprisoned unjustly and they had every right to grumble, right? They had every right to be upset. But if you go back to that passage, you'll find in verse 25, he says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the rest of the prisoners were listening to them. See, what God does is he gives us the strength to endure some of the stuff he he brings us through. When the rest of the society goes through those difficult circumstances, they lose hope, they lose their joy, and they lose contentment. But if you're saved, you go through that circumstance still having joy, and you're content even through it. And what happens is, is that the rest of the world want to listen in, just like what happened here. Listen in. They start asking questions. Well, it seems like you're holding on to something. And your answer can be, yeah, I'm holding on to God's unchanging hands. And it opens the door to share the gospel to other people. We have to have this spirit-controlled temperament. And it, it, we're different in terms of how we manage this workout process. Look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as light in the world. So now he's saying disputing. This is arguing. This is uh, debating stuff. This is moving from grumbling to actually verbalizing your complaint. You're saying, no, I have a problem. I want my desires. I want my way. And Paul now makes this comparison between the world who he calls crooked and twisted and those who are believers who are supposed to shine like the light. Now, this particular word crooked is the Greek word scolios, And that may be familiar to you because you may have heard this thing called scoliosis, right? And scoliosis is this dysfunctional curvature of the spine that causes pain, Um, and it can cause a number of other things as well. And then he uses this term also uh, that is uh, uh, crooked and twisted. This actually means, the Greek word means to pervert something. This is to take something that is good and corrupt it and distort it from its original purpose. And so Paul's saying that I'm going to take you and place you in the midst of a crooked and twisted society. He's saying you're going to be around some people that are crooked, meaning they're going to act a certain way. Their their actual idea on what they're doing, their motivation behind what they're doing, it's going to sit right, but it's crooked because they'll turn on you when you least expect it. He's saying you're going to be amidst a society of people who are twisted that might um, take something that God has made that is good like sex and, and maybe a little wine. And they twist it and pervert it to end up using it for uh, like fornication or getting drunk. Yeah. He's saying I'm going to place you right in the midst of that. And he says I want you to in contrast shine like the light among the cosmos. That word world is the Greek word cosmos. So people in the first century studied this harmonious order of the stars. You'll see that during that time, they used the stars to navigate the journeys as they're on the seas. And so they looked up into heaven and they observed the movements and the pattern of the stars on their journey. And Paul wanted the church community to ultimately be an example, to be a beautifully ordered harmonious society. And it was through watching the church, watching how you behaved with each other that people might see the light. And so by disputing or arguing or, or, or being uh, contentious over non-essential things would then not lead people to the light who is Christ. And so they get confused in what direction to go to if we're not behaving in the way that we should. This ultimately leads us to this next thing, is that we need to operate as a spirit-filled family. A spirit-filled family. So when you work out with a bunch of people, you become consistent. This family should be united. He says that they're holy and blameless. Many times in the Bible we see that it's not until the people of God are on one accord, that are together as a family, that God moves We see it in the Old Testament. God called Nehemiah. Some of you all remember. Nehemiah was called to build the walls of Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem, and then he unites the people. He gets them on fire to do the work that he's been called to do. And they work together as a family. They actually work as a family in front of the wall. Each person, each family had a certain section that they would work together on. And we know that as a result, they built this wall within a record time of 52 days. We see in Acts chapter 2 what happens when in, in the beginning where they're all together, 120 plus people are together, gathered together in unity like a family. They're praying, and the Holy Spirit moves and begins to, uh, begins to fill people so that they might share the good news in different dialects. We know that in Acts chapter 13, the people of Antioch are fasting and praying. They're all on one accord. And then the Holy Spirit moves and they they send out Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. See, sometimes we, we need to be united so that God can move in a miraculous way. He puts a premium on unity in God's family. Our light shines brightest when we're working out with a holy family. And so I encourage the students to work together as a team. Don't get stuck into fighting over things that don't matter at all. Because the rest of the world is watching. Look at this last verse here. Verse 16. Holding fast to the world of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So he's saying that an obedient believer is a person who holds fast to the gospel of truth. And Jesus' words were in truth, were definitely life. Jesus' words were life and light to people. Paul then adds that when Christ returns, he wants to be, uh, when Christ returns, he wanted to be proud. See, this church was really one of the bright spots in his ministry. He was like, man, you guys are doing it. And I watch you all today and I think, man, you all are doing it. Just watching you worship, watching you lead the way you are. And he's saying to them, just as I'm saying to you today, that you need to keep on doing it. Don't just stop. Verse 15, he says, you shine as lights in the world. There's two kinds of popular uh, lights that children play with. One is called a glow stick, and some of you all might be familiar what that is. You know, you break it, and you shake it up, and it's really bright. But this is really a short-term light source, because after a day, it's no longer glowing anymore. Another one is a phosphorescent star. Some of you all might see these little plastic stars. And some parents put them on the ceiling of your room, right? And what you'll notice is, is that it lights up at night because it stays in the light in the day. And so it stays in the light and it continues to light up. Right? Some of y'all might see it. See, sometimes people are like glow sticks, right? They they have a broken situation in their life. They cry out to the Lord and God comes and meets them right where they are and it's so exciting that they light up. But it's short-lived. Because they're not working out. But God wants us to be like what the Apostle Paul is describing here. People who are like this phosphorescent light. That if you just stay with Christ, that you gaze in what he's done for you at the cross. That you'll stay lit up. That just just won't be a Sunday or or, uh, once a a month type thing or every fifth Sunday. But this is a lifestyle that you can continue to work out in. That's God's desire for you. So you have to maintain this spiritual workout. And that is by shining through everything that you do. You have to have a spirit led training. That means partnering with people. Making sure that you're in fellowship with believers that might encourage you. You have to have a spirit-controlled temperament. That means that you have to maintain a positive attitude. And then lastly, but certainly not least, you have to be in the community of believers. People who will encourage you to keep moving, keep pushing you forward. Because in the gym that God creates for you, it's not easy. Some of you all know what that's like. But if you let it do what it do, you'll continue to grow strong. If you just stay in the gym, I want to do something a little different. I want to just encourage all of you, particularly our students. But I want to encourage you all. I want you to close your eyes just for a couple minutes. And as your eyes are closed and your head is bowed, I want you to just listen intently. At this word of encouragement. Eyes closed head bowed. For the race is not given to the swift or to the strong, but to the one who endures to the end. So pick yourself up. Shake your past off. Put one foot in front of the other. Just keep working out. You're not the sum of your last mistake. The next step is the beginning of your next victory when you hear that little voice saying no one believes in you you're too far behind you're too small this isn't working and this isn't worth it another voice rises to remind you that he that began a good work in you will accomplish it keep working out the same power the same strength the same spirit who raised the savior from a borrowed grave is alive and active in you this is your guarantee of complete victory The same God who delivered you from the lion and the bear can and will deliver this new giant into your hands. Just keep working out. So draw the line. Take your stand. Hold on tighter for God is able to take you where you cannot carry yourself if you just keep working out. When you think you've reached a dead end, when the light is no longer in front of you, there's no turning around, just look up. He's there. His hand's reaching down. Grab hold of it. Keep working out someone told you that you weren't good enough you're not worth you don't have what it takes but a voice from the judge of judges says yes you are for you are a royal priesthood a holy nation a peculiar person you've been handpicked since the beginning of time and i've purposed you for such a time as this keep working out strive for perfection out of obedience but you'll never inspire others by being perfect You'll inspire others by how you deal with your imperfections, so give up, keep on working out. Every now and then put your hand over your heart and feel your heartbeat pumping because that's called purpose. You're alive for a reason, so just keep working out. You may have been hit from the right side and blindsided from the left. You may think that the curtain is closing the countdown has started and there's no more strength in your legs but remember the battle is not yours it's the Lord's remember your last victory not your defeat if he's called you to triumph back then be confident he'll do it again so keep working out yesterday, today and forever Jesus Christ is the same and in his name you are unstoppable for he is the author and finisher of your faith all things are started and sustained by his grace. He's never failed, never faltered, never wavered, never lost, and he's not about to start. But receiving the promise requires perseverance. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many begin, but few are finished. Keep working out. See, Jesus said, you have been forgiven, justified, sanctified, sealed, redeemed, accepted, made alive, free, a fellow heir, you're a saint, his workmanship, and above all else, you have been chosen as his beloved child. He's saying, being confident of this, he that began a good work in you will carry it in completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Keep working out. No matter what, keep working out. Strive for perfection. Keep working out. Stay in biblical community. Keep working out. For God will complete his assignment in and through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.